Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. I'm here again talking about the Data Solutions uh, Security Forum, which happening next month. And I'm here talking with, with uh, another one of the speakers, Graham Cleary. How's it going, Graham? It's going very well, thank you very much. Good to speak to you. Likewise. Tell me a bit about your background. Um, I have been working in the computer security industry since the early 1990s, so almost coming up to 30 years, really. Uh, it's just a few years away from that, so an awfully long time. I started off as a computer programmer, uh, working for Dr. Solomon's. For those people who remember Dr. Solomon's antivirus, I was one of the programmers of that. And uh, in later years, I went to work for Sophos. And for the last five years or so, I've been working uh, independently, blogging and giving talks and podcasting all about computer security. Yeah, I guess that because you were one of the guys involved with Dr. Solomon's antivirus toolkit, how has antivirus software changed over the years since you started doing it? Oh, it's changed enormously. Um, when, way back then, when I started writing antivirus software for Dr. Solomon's, um, I, I wrote actually the very first version of Dr. Solomon's for Windows. At the time, I don't think there was any Windows antivirus software. And uh, as a relatively young novice programmer, I was given that job because the company actually didn't believe they'd sell any copies of the Windows version. They thought it was purely for marketing. And I remember Alan Solomon himself saying, uh, I'm getting you to write this because oh, I'm going to write the OS2 version, he said. And he believed IBM OS2 was going to be what serious businesses bought rather than Windows. Now, it turned out, well, life surprised us, didn't it? Yeah. And uh, Windows actually rightly or wrongly, became the dominant operating system. And, of course, the malware authors mentioned over to it as well. There's been a number of changes with antivirus software over the years. For one thing, most of what we're detecting isn't actually, couldn't technically describe them as viruses. Um, they tend to be more Trojan horses these days, a malicious code which doesn't self-replicate. Um, and uh, But, of course, we have to handle all of those things. And antivirus software has become so much more sophisticated in the last 25, 30 years than it used to be. One of the things which we've had to combat is the growing industrialization of cybercrime. Because way back when, when I began uh, fighting virus writers and so forth, it really was kids in their back bedrooms. And then over time, it became organized criminals and they still are, are very much ruling the roost. But, of course, we also have this additional component now and this additional battle which is going on, which are governments and intelligence agencies, countries fighting each other, stealing information, using malware. So it, it, it's become an awful lot more serious than it used to be. So you, you're thinking, thinking like Stuxnet? Well, there's Stuxnet, certainly, which uh, attacked the uranium enrichment facility in Iran um, and... Uh, caused physical damage and obviously was done because they wanted to knock out uh, Iran's nuclear capabilities without uh, necessarily dropping a bomb on them. Um, and so they used a digital bomb in a way. Yeah. Uh, but we've also seen, of course, attacks uh, which have been designed to steal information and to spy. Uh, China, for instance, has hacked into many companies. Russia uh, has been, as has well been, been well documented, has hacked into political parties in the United States in order to gather information. And closer to home, the British intelligence services have hacked into companies as well, including you know so-called friendly European countries and spied upon them and their, their goings-on. Because sometimes I think 
think it's just so much easier to go in with a Trojan horse or a piece of spyware than go the official legal route if they're after information. It's extraordinary what just how much of this goes on these days. And I guess now with Brexit coming in, there might be an easier way of getting information. With Brexit, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, um, yeah, it's a bit of a controversial one, that, isn't it? But uh, I, I don't know how much impact it will have on cybercrime generally. The, the worry, of course, is because the criminals don't know any borders. Yeah. You know, it's just like the internet. No, but, they yeah. don't, they don't care about the legislation. But there may be challenges, of course, for law enforcement um, in terms of intelligence sharing. Um, and... Of course, uh, you know, our country, well, my country, the United Kingdom, is going to be trying to be more competitive uh, than it has managed in the past. And uh, we shall see how successful that is. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, but also, I'm thinking of, like, for spying purposes, if you want to spy on another country in the EU to find out what their plans are about Brexit, you might do that instead of actually going the legal route or, or sending over diplomats. Could be easier. Let- Let's be honest, there is so much at stake here, I would be surprised already if it isn't happening in both directions. There would, of course, be the most enormous political kerfuffle if it was found out. But one of the advantages of using malware to spy is you have deniability. It's very hard to prove that a particular country was behind a particular cyber attack because it's so easy to cover your traces and sometimes... It could be, you know, you could say, oh, well, it wasn't us. It was just some very patriotic hackers, you know, on our yeah. side who shouldn't have done that, you know. But uh, but sometimes these things are, of course, state-sponsored instead. So I, I think espionage has changed enormously in the last 25 years. You know, whereas, you know, we're all used to the sort of James Bond scenario of parachuting a spy behind enemy lines yeah. and stealing microfilm. Well, that puts them in physical danger. It's awfully expensive as well. So much easier to plant a piece of malware or steal a few passwords with a phishing site and then gain access to people's emails remotely. You don't put yourself in any physical danger and you also have this great advantage of being able to deny that you were responsible. So the modern day James Bond is basically a programmer or a hacker? I think so. And uh, if you look at the intelligence services these days, they are attempting to attract a lot of young people to go and work for them. So people with the hacking skills, the penetration skills, they certainly are keen to gobble up because they want working for them. Um, The challenge for those intelligence services, however, is that they often cannot offer uh, a competitive wage, quite frankly, compared to what can be earned in industry and indeed what can be earned on the dark side as well. You know, there are millions to be made if you are a cyber criminal. I, I wouldn't recommend it as a path because if you do get caught these days, you are more likely than ever before to end up in jail for a serious length of time. But um, there certainly is a, a lot of money uh, swirling around in that area. So I guess what are the future security threats we should be worried about? I I think there have been a number of uh, big developments in recent years in terms of attacks. Um, Some of them, however, aren't that technically sophisticated. I think one of the uh, risks which many companies are facing right now is something called business email compromise. This is where simply a member of your staff might be duped into thinking that they've received an email from the chief financial officer. And the email will simply ask people to move money into a bank account. They may say, look, I've got a very important meeting. I need this to be done. Or sometimes the scammers will actually have faked invoices from one of your genuine suppliers and send the invoices through with uh, different 
bank details, and there are companies who have lost tens of millions of euros as a result of hacks like that um, uh, and attacks like that where people have been duped into moving money. Another considerable threat as well, which is often overlooked by the security companies, is the insider threat. If you think of some of uh, uh, the likes of Nick Leeson, for instance, at Barians, who obviously cost them, again, a huge, huge amount of money. There was someone who was inside the organization who caused a lot of damage. You might have someone inside your company who is feeling disgruntled, feels like they haven't been properly rewarded. Maybe they're going to another job in the future, and they might decide to use some of the information that you have given them access to. You've let them in the building. You've given them passwords. They've got all that those advantages which external hackers don't have. And they might try and steal your information and exploit it. And uh, that, that certainly is a considerable problem. On the technical front, there's things like ransomware, crypto mining. Um, but, you know, some of the the regular attacks are actually fairly fundamental but work so well. Things like phishing attacks are still enormously successful because you can't upgrade your human beings. You can't give them a security patch and so people keep on clicking on bad links and giving away their passwords. Yeah, and I guess the rise of cryptocurrencies has helped hackers and cyber criminals do new things. Yes, I mean, crypto, uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, by their nature, are designed to be anonymous. And so, whereas the, the standard technique used by law enforcement was to follow the money, can be much, much more difficult when it's a cryptocurrency involved, if not, frankly, quite impossible. Um, and so, there are a lot of criminals who are using that. I don't want to tar everybody who uses cryptocurrency with that particular brush. You don't have to be a criminal to use cryptocurrency at all, but certainly... Uh, criminals have taken advantage of that and sometimes they're actually exploiting users' computers in order to mine more cryptocurrency. I recently heard a hilarious story from Russia, um, one of their nuclear weapons testing facilities, and they have a huge supercomputer there simulating tests and doing all kinds of things. And what these scientists decided was, hey, we've got this really powerful computer. Why don't we get it, crypto why don't we get it mining some bitcoins for us? And so they put the software on, they connected it to the internet, and they had a supercomputer doing that number crunching. Um, not a very good idea from the security point of view yeah. uh, to put that kind of computer on the internet and running your own software. And um, they've now been caught and are being dealt with by uh, the authorities in Russia. So good luck to them. That's kind of stupid doing that because I know of a company years <laughs> ago who uh, had one small computer in the room, one five computer running that had some software that had to use like software. And somehow or other, they kept that machine on the network. So that was a way of people to get into it. Yes, it only takes one computer. It only takes one vulnerable computer or one computer which hasn't been patched, um, potentially for hackers to, to find that chink in your armor and get access to your network and then spread laterally throughout your organization and maybe steal more information. Uh, you, you may remember the classic example of uh, Target, the uh, huge retail chain in the United States. And they actually got hacked, not directly, they got hacked via the company which provided them with their air conditioning system. Yeah. Um, and that company had a login to Target's network. And so the air conditioning company got hacked the hackers stole the passwords and then were able to access target systems. So 
you've got to think about your supply chain and your partners and how good their security is as well, because sometimes that will be taken advantage of by the criminals. Because I remember last year, there was a big uh, security hack to do with uh, ransomware on the uh, NHS. It happened here yes. in Ireland as well. And some, they were interviewing somebody from the uh, Royal Navy on one of their ships. And in the background was a computer running Windows XP. And I was like, why the hell is it still running that when that's going to be a big security risk? Because it is. It's not at all unusual yeah. um, to be used. Uh, it, it, the irony is actually Windows XP uh, is that WannaCry wasn't properly tested on Windows XP. And so it would cause Windows XP to crash yeah. um, rather than spread any further. So you could argue that Windows XP was a superb detection system for telling whether you had WannaCry or not. Yeah. Uh, because it would <laughs> cause you more problems. But there, yes, I mean, Windows XP isn't supported by Microsoft properly anymore. You're not getting security patches for it. Sadly, there are many large organizations, some of the most critical organizations, which don't have the budget and resources to revamp their hardware. And in the case of the NHS, it's particularly difficult because they may have hardware attached to computers, uh, like an MRI scanner, for instance. And maybe they've only got a driver which runs on Windows XP. Maybe the company which provided the MRI scanner isn't around anymore, and so there isn't a Windows 10 piece of software which can drive the MRI scanner. And so they have to make that pragmatic decision. You know, do, do we upgrade the computer? But if we do, we've got to get a new scanner, which is going to cost us 10 million quid. You know, yeah. it's not like replacing a thousand-pound computer. Um, so. Very complicated, uh, some of these challenges, sadly. Uh, although, obviously, we do recommend generally that people are running the latest operating systems, uh, if at all possible, to be better protected. Yeah, or if not, make sure your computer isn't on the network. It's basically offline. Yeah, if, if, if possible, yes. Uh, obviously, you know, disconnect it and, and have it isolated from uh, potential attack. And also, if you're going to use it, make sure you only use a registered USB key that you know won't be virus uh, attached at all, will be virus-free? Yes. I mean, uh, yes. I mean, there, there, there are – obviously, there are risks. I mean, you mentioned Stuxnet earlier. There are risks which can be spread via USB as well. But um, for those sort of critical computers, it may be a good idea to have uh, some sort of air gapping, as yeah. you suggest. Now, next month, you're talking about the Data Leasing Security Forum. What will you be talking about? Well, <laughs> having having shared all that gloom and doom yeah. uh, <laughs> about the current state of cybersecurity, I, I thought I would do something a bit more fun, actually, um, at the conference, because obviously there'll be a lot of discussion of threats. I am going to be talking uh, about a number of attacks which have happened, but these are, these are I don't know, maybe you would call them tales of the unexpected, yeah. um, slightly unusual stories of companies who have been hacked and how the hack was actually perpetrated. Um, I hope it's going to be rather entertaining, and I'll I'll give you one little tip. I don't want to I don't want to spoil everything here, yeah. but I, I'm going to both explain about a guy who managed to hack the lottery and made millions as a result, and I will explain how he did it. So if anyone has a criminal bent, they can go and try it themselves. I wouldn't recommend it. And I'm also going to tell the story of a company which pretended it had been hacked. And why would any company, so often we come across companies, of course, deny that they've been hacked. So a a company which pretended they had been hacked, and they actually tried to use it for their advantage. They tried to use it as a marketing stunt. Um, and I'm going to explain yeah. uh, I'm, 
explain how they did this and 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 uh, the the. the peculiar way in which they try to turn this bizarre story to their advantage and there is a twist in the tale which you will discover as well but it is bizarre this is one of the reasons why i've been working in this industry for so long it's always fascinating the people who write the malware are interesting the people who write the antivirus software are strange individuals yeah. in some cases as well and charismatic and all the rest of it uh, we are all involved in this fight against the baddies and we all want the good guys to win but boy oh boy there are some strange stories which happen along the way um which can occasionally surprise and delight us and i, I think it's good to underline those kind of stories the, the odd stories because there is so much sometimes to be gloomy about and we can feel like we've been overwhelmed by the cybersecurity threat. The truth is, with good defences, with sharing knowledge, with events like the conference, there is an opportunity to share experiences with your peers, share best practices, go and ask others what they are doing to better protect themselves. And together, I believe, we can make ourselves more secure, safer on the internet. Well, I guess if you were honest enough to admit you were hacked in the first place, that's going to in the long term, certainly well, because you've you've told your customers and clients, we've been hacked, we're honest, this is what happened to us, this is what we're doing, friends happening again, please stay with us. Uh, you know what? I absolutely agree with you. The, I've been really impressed by some companies. I, I, I see plenty of examples of companies who handle it badly. And we can probably think of some of their names because they've been in the headlines so much. But there are organisations who've been hacked who've actually turned a potential disaster into a success story because by being open and transparent and apologizing to their customers and saying this is what we're going to do to fix this this is how we're going to make sure this never happens again you actually find in those situations your customers like you more yeah they appreciate your honesty and you actually get more loyalty from them because they feel like they've been through the experience. If they feel that you're not pulling the wool over their eyes, if, you, if they feel like they're being kept informed, that's what people normally want, is they simply want to know what is going on. Am I affected? What data has gone? How can I deal with this? If, if you do that well, then you can really turn it to your advantage. And there are companies who've done that, and I would love to see much more of that going forward. I'm hoping, with the likes of GDPR, that we will see companies being better prepared for data breaches yeah. and learning the lessons which other companies have learned about how to handle uh, a hack properly and turn it to their advantage. Because I, I really think long term, it actually will help companies um, to adopt that. Obviously, no one wants to get hacked in the first place. But if, if inevitably it happens to your organization, you want to make the best of it. You want to do the best for your customers so that you continue having a relationship with them for the years to yeah. come. I'm thinking of Yahoo. When they got hacked, it took them three or four years before they announced it. Yes, and in that yes, exactly. And in that particular case, it was found that there were some senior members of Yahoo's team who knew about the hack. And they chose not to make it public for quite some time. And obviously, that was an enormous hack, um, unlike many of the others which... Uh, We've seen it was on a, a, an unprecedented scale. And then there have been hacks of the likes of uh, Equifax as well, which basically affected you know, virtually everyone in the United States and millions and millions yeah. of people in the British Isles as well. And this was a company who you had no relationship with. You probably never heard of before. 
But they had your information because they were using it to work out whether you were credit worthy or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, frankly, all of us probably have had our identity stolen. Whether it has then been exploited for fraud or not, touch wood, hopefully that hasn't happened to all of us. But it's not unexpected now to find that our data is in the hands of criminals. What we have to do is protect ourselves online and in real life to make sure that the opportunities for the criminals to exploit that data is as small as possible. All right. Thanks so much for that, Graeme. And uh, have a nice weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the conference next month. Take care. I'll see you there. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.